This episode reviews the clarifications made to and remaining flaws of the Payroll Protection Program, or PPP, which is the largest program for small businesses affected by the coronavirus contained in the new law. Welcome to the Accounting Tips for Entrepreneurs podcast. My name is Jeff Skolnick and I am a CPA with 35 years of experience working with small business owners, entrepreneurs, and network marketers on how to make their business more successful by understanding how taxes can work in their favor and not hurt their business. Each and every week I'm going to come to you with short, quick, and helpful tips on not only how to make sure you are doing everything possible to minimize your income tax liability, but also how to create the income for your business that you truly deserve. Before I start to discuss the Payroll Protection Program, or PPP, I'd like to discuss a few other things contained in the um, CARES Act and, and updates to them. I want to start off with the economic impact payments. This is, these are the payments of $1,200 per person if you're below a certain income level, $2,400 to married couples, and an extra $500 for qualifying children. just wanted to, to make sure everybody was aware of the fact that these will be sent either by direct deposit if the IRS has your information, or by check if they do not. Based on my reading of the IRS website, if you have not filed a return for 2018 or 2019, a requirement for receiving your recovery rebate check, you will have until the end of 2020 to file those returns. The IRS has issued a warning about scams related to the recovery rebates. These rebates will come automatically. Taxpayers do not have to do anything. If anyone calls and requests any verification information of any kind, it's a scam. Make sure if you have senior citizens who may only receive social security checks, they know they have to do nothing. Unfortunately, there are some people who will try to rip off anyone they can, and this is a particularly vulnerable group. New Jersey finally got on board and extended the due date of income tax returns until July 15, 2020. I believe they were the last state to do so. Most states move their deadline to July 15th. There are a handful of states that have an earlier date. I read that Virginia has extended the date payments are due to June 1st, but it's still required filing by May 1st. Mississippi has extended their deadline through May 15th. My bet is that these dates will be moved back, but I caution you to keep an eye on it if you file in either of these states. The last thing anyone needs right now are penalties and interest added to their tax liabilities. Iowa is the only state I know of that had extended their deadline beyond July 15th and actually adopted a July 31st deadline. Senior citizens receiving social security checks but not required to file income tax returns because of their income level will receive their rebates without having to do anything. Originally there was some talk of having them file something called a simple return which would have just shown zeros. Uh, this really made no sense, and I think the change was a great idea. These people are already in the system, including their bank information, because Social Security checks come by direct deposit, and we certainly don't need any more paperwork. Lastly, I want to bring up, please keep in mind that if you have not filed your 2016 income tax return, and you believe you have an overpayment, unless you are on extension, you have until April 15, 2020 to file. After that date you will not get your refund. I have not heard of any extension to this date. It could come, 
but I could certainly see the IRS saying three years is long enough for you to have taken care of this. Now I want to get into the payroll protection program and um, there, there were some clarifications made to it and I still believe there are some flaws within it and I want to cover that now. So as many of you know, the payroll protection program rolled out on Friday, April 3rd and had a bit of a rocky start. The lenders involved in dispersing these loans had questions that required clarification before they were comfortable with commencing with this massive program. The clarification came late Thursday evening. The SBA issued something that they termed the interim final rule. And as a result, few banks were ready to accept loan applications on Friday. Some banks did take the loan applications early on and more started to by the end of the day. And I believe all, if they're not ready already set up, will be by tomorrow or Tuesday. Individuals are being directed to apply for the Paycheck Protection Program, again, sometimes seen as, as PPP, through their local bank. There will be banks involved in this process that are not normally SBA lenders. Check with the bank your business has a relationship first because they know you and that never hurts. I've also heard certain banks are taking applications only from uh companies that they have a relationship with. So you definitely want to look to those people first. I'm, I will be doing a Facebook Live tomorrow, which will be April 6th, will, which will hopefully contain more information on how the whole process is working. Okay, so here are the clarifications to date. And again, there will be more to come. Originally, I had listed the requirements or I'd gone over the requirements of eligibility there are a couple of factors that even if you would normally be considered eligible, that will knock you out of being eligible. And they are one, you are engaged in any activity that is illegal under federal, state, or local law. Two, you're a household employer. This would be individuals who employ household employees such as nannies or housekeepers. Three, an owner of 20% or more of the equity of the applicant is incarcerated or on probation, parole, presently subject to an indictment, criminal information, arraignment, or other means by which formal criminal charges are brought in any jurisdiction, or has been convicted of a felony within the last five years, or lastly, you or any business owned or controlled by you or any of your owners has ever obtained a direct or guaranteed loan from the SBA or any other federal agency and is either delinquent or is defaulted within the last seven years and caused a loss to the government. Okay, so now that's out of the way, let me go over what some of the issues are. Calculating the maximum amount of the loan. There is some clarification on how to calculate the amount of payroll costs, which as you remember is the main figure we need in order to calculate the maximum loan amount. It's the monthly payroll cost multiplied by 2.5 that determines the maximum amount. The act allows for compensation to employees in the form of salary, wages, commissions, or similar compensation, cash tips, or the equivalent based on employer records of past tips uh, or a reasonable good faith estimate, payment for vacation, parental, family, medical, or sick leave, allowance for separation or dismissal, payment of provision of employee benefits consisting of group health care coverage, including insurance premiums and retirement, payment of state and local taxes assessed on compensation of employees. Okay, so basically anything that you would normally consider pay to employees. Now, if you're an independent contractor or sole proprietor, then your wage commissions, income, or net earnings from self-employment, that's considered your compensation. Uh, 
that was again that was the same de definition as the original law there were a few items that were explained a little more precisely and some that will st still generate some confusion now while the definition that i just went over speaks of salary wages etc it also discussed payments to a sole proprietor independent contractor or payments to an individual that treats the payment as self-employment income uh, and I, I struggled for a little bit to try to see what the difference between a sole proprietor independent contractor and someone who, who treats things as self-employment income what i came up with a sole proprietor or independent contractor will um, typically file schedule c's on their tax return and self-employment income can come by way of a partnership uh, which would be reported on Schedule E. So that, I'm thinking maybe that's part of it. Also, this is what leads me to believe that the income, not the wages, but the S-Corp income uh, of S-Corp shareholders will not be counted in this. Again, there will be more clarification coming. So in the section where the final interim rule discusses calculating the maximum loan amount, it seems to indicate that payments to independent contractors and sole proprietors can be counted as payroll. So in other words, if you were paying somebody and it kind of was like payroll, but you were paying them as a 1099, there was some indication that you'd be able to take these people. However, later in this interim final rule, it specifically states that independent contractors do not count as employees because they have the ability to file their own PPP loan application. This would make sense to me because if they were allowed as payroll, then the employer would receive funds for these individuals. And if the individuals also applied and received funds, it would be double dipping because what happened is the employer would get the money and they would pay those people for the next eight weeks. And then those people, because they're, they're Schedule C, they're um, eligible to file for a PPP, would also get funds and they would get paid twice. So there's also been some rumbling as to whether workers' compensation insurance should be counted as a payroll cost. As of today, Sunday, April 5th, I have not seen anything official on this topic. However, I will inform everyone as soon as I know something. The law attempts to clarify, but I'm not sure it does such a great job, what items do not constitute payroll. Specifically, the original act states that payroll is reduced by Social Security taxes, Medicare taxes, and federal withholding and also the employer portion of Social Security and Medicare taxes are also not counted. The act does allow state unemployment taxes to be added to the gross payroll. The problem with the calculation is it would not leave the recipient enough money to pay his or her employees. Let me give you an example. Let's say the gross payroll, including health benefits, uh, the average uh, monthly gross payroll is $20,000. Let's say that the federal withholding on that is $3,000. The Social Security, which is the 6.2% uh, that's withheld from the employee, is $1,240. And the Medicare, which is 1.45%, is $290. This leaves us with a net payroll of $15,470. The way the original law read, they wanted you to take the net payroll. Again, they wanted you to subtract out all of those withholdings I just mentioned. Take the net payroll of $15,470 multiply it by 2.5 and we get 38,675 as the maximum amount of the loan that we can get. Now remember, the 2.5 um, factor of average monthly payroll is meant to cover payroll for roughly two months, right? That's the eight weeks that you have to spend it within. And the remainder is to be used for rent, mortgage interest, and utilities. As I just stated, 
the maximum, if we calculate it as the law originally intended, is 38675 The payroll cost for two months, just going by the gross payroll with, with benefits, is $40,000. And that's, not, that's without the employer's portion, which is another $1,530, because employers have to match the Social Security and Medicare paid by the employees. I can understand why the 1530 of employer portion is not considered. The act allows an employer to defer the Social Security piece, in our case that's 1240, that's the 6.2%, on any payroll between March 27, 2020 and December 31st, 2020 to December 31st, 2021 when 50% is due and the remaining 50% is due December 31st of 2022. By the way, I hate the idea of doing this. I do not want my clients paying 2020 payroll taxes in 2021 and 2022. Once this pandemic is over, I do not want my clients dealing with this either mentally or financially through 2022. Another issue that occurs is sometimes we as tax professionals may overwithhold taxes if an individual has other income with no withholding. For example, an S corporation. We do this in lieu of having the client make estimated tax payments. Some clients don't want to make estimated tax payments. If they're already drawing a salary, they just like to be overwithheld, and that way they don't have to think about it. So in this example, let's say the federal withholding, because we have an S-Corp shareholder, was $5,000 instead of $3,000. Okay? Now what would happen is if we still put in the $1,240 for Social Security and $290 for Medicare, now our net payroll is $13,470. And 2.5 times that number would yield a maximum of $33,675. Okay, so we can clearly see that that's not going to work because that's not going to even give people enough money for payroll, let alone additional money for rent, mortgage, interest, and utilities. So the final interim rule does say that these taxes are subtracted but only if they were withheld between February 15th and June 30th of 2020. So do you feel like you understand it now? Of course not. It's nuts. Let me see if I can break it down. It's only, it only marginally affects the payroll calculation for the maximum loan because you're required to use the one-year period before the loan is made. Another term that's not all that clear. But how do we know when the loan is made? And shouldn't we... I mean, because we, we're putting the application in, obviously the loan isn't made yet, and we have to give them this calculation in order to get the loan. So do we use average payroll before the pandemic started? To I think we should use the average payroll before the pandemic started. In other words, like, let's say if the loan was given on April 6th, we wouldn't want to take the last 12 months that ended, even if it ended on March 31st, because most businesses were closed, at least for part of March, and their average payroll would be lower. So... I was instructing people to go from March 1st of 2019 through February 29th of 2020. Um, and that way you have a full year that's, and it's not affected by the pandemic. Alternate calculations must be made for a business that's less than a year old or a seasonal employer. So I did read yesterday, which was late Saturday night, that the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, the AICPA, is currently recommending that we use gross payroll without reducing gross payroll by any payroll taxes withheld based on 2019 data. While the AICP is in discussions with the Treasury Department, SBA, banks and payroll processors, this has not yet become law. 
I do like the approach because first of all, it eliminates the withholdings, which as I've explained, really hurt the bar and don't seem to be consistent with the intent of the law. Additionally, I like using 2019 because it will be an easy way to provide documentation if the banks require it. We currently know what the PPP application looks like, but we're not sure if individual banks will require any proof of the calculations. If we use payroll figures for the calendar year 2019, we can use payroll tax returns as backup for the earnings of, and for earnings of individuals, we can use either their 2019 income tax returns if they filed, or profit and loss statements of their businesses if the returns have not yet been filed. And these would be evidence to back up the numbers. Again, I don't think the banks are gonna make the, uh, are gonna add restrictions to individuals beyond what the federal um, law shows however they may require proof in other words you're going to give them what your average monthly payroll is maybe they're going to require proof of how you got that number so hopefully you're still with me and you can see why the taxes withheld have little to do with the maximum loan that can be applied for since the rule has changed however here's where you get bitten in the ass let's say we apply for the loan and we receive the maximum in our case i said gross payroll is twenty thousand dollars including health so 20,000 times 2.5 is $50,000. When the recipient applies for forgiveness, in our example, they are allowed to count only the net payroll, right? Since all of those withholdings took place, all the withholdings took place after February 15th, we can only take the 15,470 times two, which is 30,940, plus the amount spent on rent, utilities, and mortgage interest. These obligations must have existed prior to February 15th of 2020, so you can't go rent a new office to spend the money. Now, what if you pay $10,000 per month in these expenses, which you'd have to in order to use up the um, slightly over um, almost $20,000 that remains, uh, are you okay? The answer is no, because the act also states that no more than 25% of the total received can be used for non-payroll costs. So while we're at it, the act doesn't define utilities. We all know utilities include oil, gas, electric, and water, but what about telephone and internet? Now, if the 30,940 has to be at least 75%, then the remaining expenses can only be 10,313. Trust the math, I'm an accountant. So we have loan proceeds of $50,000, less $30,940 of payroll, and less rent, mortgage, interest, and utility payments of $10,313, that leaves a balance of $8,747 that we can't use. So what does that mean? That means that it has to be paid back. The whole idea of this uh, particular section was that if the applicant followed all the rules, did everything they were supposed to, spent the money as they were supposed to, and retained their workforce, in other words, didn't have a reduction in their workforce, then they were going to be able to have them out forgiven. So again, this is as the rules stand now. I absolutely believe there's going to be clarification to this because it just doesn't make sense. Now, I promise by far that was the toughest part of all this. Um, there are some additional provisions that were, that were put forth within that um, clarification memo, and I'm just going to go over them now. Okay, one of them was the interest rates on these loans is 1%. It was supposed to be a half a percent, 
But the banks weren't happy and the interest rate was raised to 1%. I guess the banks didn't think it would be economically feasible for them. Uh, Again, 1%, that's still a number that's hard to complain about. The maturity of these loans are two years. The act specifies that the loans have a maximum maturity of up to 10 years, but the latest legislation states two years, which seems kind of reasonable since if the recipients use the money properly, do not reduce their workforce, and the law is modified, and yes, I do know that's a lot of ifs, most if not all of the loans should be forgiven. If a portion is not forgiven, the 1% interest rate still makes it very inexpensive money as a loan. Now, you will not be allowed to apply for more than one PPP loan, so make sure you take the maximum. You won't get a second bite at the apple. Okay, now as if people weren't panicked enough, there's a question posed most of this this um, interim final rule was written in a question and answer type format and there was a question posed as to whether the ppp is on a first come first serve basis the answer was yes so now you have people worried that there's money's going to run out now i'm not so sure that the government wouldn't add money to this program down the road depending on its success but obviously we can't count on it I did read in the same email sent by the AICPA that discussed the updated payroll cost calculations that the Trump administrations had said that it will ask Congress for additional funding for small businesses if the initial $349 billion runs out. Again, I have not seen anything official on this, but it certainly seems to make sense. Uh, but that doesn't mean there's a guarantee it will happen. I'll keep you updated on any developments in this area. You do not have to make loan payments for six months, although interest does accrue. And obviously, this is on the part that that you actually have to repay. Six months should be enough time to determine your forgiveness amount. And the act states that these loans should be deferred up to one year. But again, that was another thing that was changed down to six months. So as I stated earlier, um, there these changes to the Paycheck Protection Program uh, will clarify certain things and certain things were not clarified at all. I absolutely believe there's going to be more revisions made to this as as we go along. And right now, we're really only dealing with people trying to calculate the maximum amount of the loan. But once people get the money, everybody's going to be concentrated on how the forgiveness end of that works. And I believe there will be changes to that. I will keep everybody updated as soon as I find out any more information. Thanks again for listening to the Accounting Tips for Entrepreneurs podcast. If you could please head over to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or Spotify and leave me a five-star rating and write a review. Also, please connect with me on social media. If there are any tax or accounting-related topics you would like me to cover, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. If you are that small business owner or entrepreneur that really wants to learn more about how to minimize your tax liability and maximize your income, Just head over to www.jeffcpaworld.com and I'll see you over there. Have a great day.